I'm Chris Wagner, and this is the Double Scoop Podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Department of Art at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, now accepting applications for the Master of Fine Arts program for fall 2020. The UNLV Art Department invites potential applicants to attend the fall 2019 MFA Open Studio event on December 6th from 6 to 9 p.m. Today's guest is Justin Favela. He's an artist from Las Vegas who takes a hard look at racism in movies, the art world, and popular culture. I guess we didn't realize how messed up and racist those movies were, you know? To explore this topic... He takes things like lowriders and buildings and art gallery walls and makes them look like giant piñatas covered with tissue paper. You can see Justin's work right here in northern Nevada. His show is titled Saludos Amigos, and it's at the Courthouse Gallery on the second floor of the Justice Court, 885 East Musser Street in Carson City. Justin Favela is in the studio. He came all the way from Las Vegas. He really came all the way from Carson City, (laughs) where he's installing an exhibition right now. Welcome, Justin, and thank you for coming up here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you tell us about what the show you're installing, what it's going to look like? I hear that there are going to be maybe some familiar movie images. What are people going to see in there? Yeah, the show that I'm doing at the Carson City Courthouse is called Saludos Amigos, and it's based on several Disney movies uh, from the early 40s, I believe. Those are The Three Caballeros, Saludos Amigos, And then I'm also sprinkling a little bit of Coco and like the Emperor's New Groove. So a lot of my artwork centers around the ideas about Latinx culture. And so, you know, a lot of these movies are like what we saw as our representation growing up as kids. And watching those films now, you don't realize how, I guess we didn't realize how messed up and racist those movies were, you know, or kind of exoticizing Latin America in a in which what we thought was a positive way is actually kind of a negative way, right? I, I do stuff in in kind of a pinata format. So that's that's one of the mediums that I work in. So they're gonna be referencing these movies, but they're gonna be very abstract, giant tissue paper, abstract wall pieces. Was there like a moment when you realized like, oh, no, these images are not saying what we they're saying something different than what we thought they were? Or was it like a gradual realization? I think it I, it happened recently because I hadn't really thought about those movies until uh, I started thinking about media representation. I have a podcast called Latinos Who Lunch. And in that podcast, we really dive into these topics. And my my co-host, he is an art historian, so we're always talking about art history and the and the representation that that, you know, the current popular media is kind of the legacy of this kind of messed up art world representation of Latin America too, right? So I think I was doing research on Disney because one of my friends who's a professor at Wellesley had this whole syllabus about about the representation of women within Disney movies and how messed mm-hmm. up that is, right? <laughs> and so I did a little digging and found out that Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros was actually funded by the U.S. government. They paid Walt Disney to go down to Latin America to make good 
with those countries as part of the good neighbor policy so that Latin America wouldn't side with the Nazis during World War II. What? So it's like so many layers there, right? Wow. So many layers, yeah. Wow, and so you're taking a snapshot from these movies. Yeah. And you're kind of painting it using cut-up tissue paper yeah. like the surface or the skin of a piñata, and it's on the wall, right? Yeah, exactly. And I guess just me physically doing that is a way to literally like deconstruct those images and kind of unpack those images Mm -hmm. and by abstracting them you know it's kind of removing them from that those films and from like that meaning so I don't think you're really going to see there's no like straightforward imagery in this show it's a lot of just like a lot of tissue paper hanging everywhere (laughs) yeah so I want to talk about the medium of tissue paper Mm -hmm. a little bit so it's it's you you've done work that looks like paintings or work on the outside of buildings and it it, a lot of it has this this pinata kind of look to it I'm curious about the actual process of getting that installed it sounds like you use helpers it seems like it's really labor-intensive, right? Yeah, it's super labor-intensive because the best way to cut the tissue paper to fringe it is by hand. So it takes a lot of hands, a lot of people cutting the tissue paper. So a lot of times it becomes a big community effort just to just to do one of these installations. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of people in Carson helping out. Who's, who's helping you out? Is it students or yeah, other artists? Yeah, all sorts of people. Other artists, teachers, students. I went to Douglas High and Carson City High and talked to the students. And some of them have come through after school to help out. A lot of volunteers with Capital City Arts Initiative have stopped by. And fellow you know, artists and, and friends that live up here in northern Nevada that I've known for years. And in a, am I correct that at other times you you actually have used like a gathering or a party as an art piece, a kind of a oh, performance yeah. art piece? Yeah, I do these pieces called Family Fiesta, where I go to usually an institution like a museum and we have a party. And that piece initially was about, I mean, it still is about cultural appropriation and the idea of having a... Mexican or Latin American theme party as a as a theme, right? Is I guess people don't realize how offensive that is. And I didn't realize it until I was invited to one and I was the only person of color at that party. And so it Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I was confused. I was like, is this for me? I don't understand. Like, why is there a pinata and a margarita machine and pin the tail on the donkey and mariachi Spotify playlist playing. It was really weird. So you responded with your own kind of gathering? Yeah, so this was my, this is my response to that. But once I started doing the family fiestas, it became about institutional inclusion and kind of an institutional critique. Who are museums really for, you know? Yeah. And how is the museum including the Latinx community? You know, just because you put your labels up in Spanish doesn't mean the space is for us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't actually even speak Spanish, right? So don't assume you're including us just by having a translation on the wall. What does your programming look like? Who are the people that visit your museum? Who are the people that work at your museum, right? And then also, how is your museum designed? Is it really designed to be for the community or is it a monument 
to white supremacy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 something that's been really interesting. We did one here at the Nevada Museum of Art on the roof of the Nevada Museum of Art. It was right. incredible. That was a few years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. These conversations about institutional inclusion, we've been having these in Reno a lot. Both of our art museums are, are trying to contend with this in different ways. And my question for you is, do you have advice for museums? Is there something you'd like to see them doing specifically to address this? Yeah, don't talk about it, be about it. Like, if you, people aren't coming to your museums and you want to include the community, support a local organization, collaborate with local organizations. I think it starts from, you know, from childhood, right? Like, if you go to a museum when you're a kid, I know that the Nevada Museum of Art has an excellent education program and they have a lot of really great programming for youth, and that's where it's at because. I feel like when I was a kid, even now, I walk into spaces and I feel uncomfortable. I'm not the core audience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it starts with that. I mean, honestly, it's way deeper than that. When the architecture of a museum is scary and not inviting, that's also a problem, right? But right. if there's no parking... If it costs too much to get in, right? There's so many different factors. Right, that, like what are the signs that this museum really is welcoming me? Exactly. Or, or what are the signs I'm what, seeing that say it isn't? What is the art in the collection? Who, You know, like there's a lot of different things. I feel like a lot of museums and a lot of institutions, cultural institutions, kind of just go down a checklist. They're like, okay, we did the labels in Spanish, check. We hired a Latin ex-artist for for Hispanic Heritage Month to do a workshop, check. Okay, there's a lot of talk about the border wall. Let's do a border-themed exhibit, check. And then, all right, we're good for like five, ten years. Then we can, you know what I mean? Like a lot of places do that. And that's, you know, just truly look at the community and, and see what see what they want. Do you have any success stories to share about that? Oh, totally. I recently did some work with the library district in Las Vegas. And, you know, libraries are also institutions, right? And there's this library being built, which I, I thought was going to be an issue. Uh, it was built in East Las Vegas, which is in the hood. It's where I grew up. And low-income housing, government housing, the projects are there. They tore down a lot of the old projects from back in the day and are actually they built this library in this old neighborhood and it's the it's a street i grew up on and so when it was being built they asked me if i could make a piece for one of the rooms in the library and i said absolutely i would love to to be a part of that but i just want i just want to see the space and see what this library is all about you know are they just checking boxes or are they building something for the community right and I got there, and it's this library is designed like no library I've ever seen before. It's an open design. There's a cafe. There's kitchens in it. It's almost built like a community center because they actually went and talked to the people. They didn't survey them. They literally went out in the street and said, hey, what kind of library would you like? And they said, well, we would like somewhere where our kids can hang out. We would like somewhere that's safe so that everybody can, you know, there's nowhere to kind of hide in the library for any nonsense to happen. We would like to have a meeting place, maybe have a place to have quinceañeras, to have parties. That sounds exciting. And they did that. They and did they that. And they listened. 
And they even saved the old trees from the old neighborhood. So there's still remnants of it. They're respecting the history. So it's possible. You know? So what was your art piece like in there? Did you, did you, did I, you do it? I did do a, I did a pinata painting, a smaller piece, not a big mural. And uh, it was an homage to my grandmother who lives right across the street from the library. And so she loves landscape paintings. So I recreated the landscape painting that's in her living room in piñata, in, in tissue paper, but also collaged in images of her hometown in Guatemala. Also, the landscape in East Las Vegas was collaged into it also. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fun piece. Have you gotten a lot of reaction to it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I think, my family's favorite work that I've ever done. My, my mom will take people to go see it, which is incredible because my mom really hasn't expressed any interest in my art until that piece, which is super interesting. I always feel like no matter what happens, no matter who says what, the the mom stamp of approval is really the highest honor. Honestly, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It's she and I, and I think it's because she understands the concept and it's accessible. Yeah, like and, she gets it. It's personal, you and know? that's what you want it. You want to be yeah, able to relate to it. Totally, excellent. So, do you come more from a, like an academic art background, or did you? Like, are you an yeah. art college person? Yeah, I went to UNLV. Uh-huh. I got my BFA in studio art and sculpture. So, yeah, I, I do I do come from an academic background, uh-huh. for so the, sure. So the materials that you work with now, the tissue paper, did you have to argue with professors about that? Were there were people saying, Justin, you should do oil paints? Or did, did you just start there and continue with those? No, I, I think I had very uh, supportive professors in at UNLV, and I studied a lot with Stefan Hendy, who now is teaching at MICA. Um, and I remember that's why I started making work out of cardboard and paper, because that was like one of our projects, one of our classes. And then it became this thing where it was the only thing that I could afford. And so it just kind of evolved from there, just thinking about the material as far as accessibility and like kind of like you know just people understand what cardboard and paper feels like and the limitations of that material so I never really got any pushback about my material because I think I just was producing so much and here's a tip for anybody in school like if you're doing the work and you're doing your best you know people are gonna like what you do you know right right. yeah if you're actually trying did you did you have a relationship with those materials as a kid yeah, I mean, there's this term that I learned recently called rascuache, which is a Chicano term for kind of making slapdash work out of materials that you find, right? And so as a kid, I was I didn't consider myself an artist as a kid. I was also into music, so I, I kind of leaned towards that a lot more. But I would create a lot of little collages and little dioramas all the time just with found materials. I remember when my the Mexican side of my family, they bought a new house in the 90s, like all the way on the west side in Las Vegas. And so there was all this construction all around the neighborhood. And so there's just pieces of wood everywhere, just like bits of wood cut up every, you know. And so I would collect all of that and just make these big sculptures you know, so just making things out of what I had available has been a thing since I was a kid. So we've been on, on this particular rule for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great segue into something else I'm wondering about. So for anybody who hasn't been down to uh, 
south of Las Vegas in a while, there's the Seven Magic Mountains. Yeah. The, uh, enormous, seven enormous piles, stacks, cairns of limestone boulders planted in these really bright, like, pinks and silvers. It's an installation piece that the Nevada Museum of Art sponsored. And recently you made a piece that looks a lot like that out of a much humbler material. Can you tell us the story behind that? Sure. Yeah, my friend Ramiro Gomez and I did this show at UNLV, a two-person show at the Barrick Museum. And we wanted to pay homage to our childhood and our relationship to Las Vegas and pop culture. And so... You know, Seven Magic Mountains, that is such a huge piece for Vegas right now. And it's it's this it's a roadside attraction. I know they don't call it that, but it's I like it because it's in the same vein as that. You it know? sure does function like that. I it think does. it's fair to think of it that and way. And that's great. And yeah. because again, because it's accessible and it's for the public, which is that's what it's for. So my friend Ramiro went to go eat in North Las Vegas with his family and the tire shop next to this Marisco spot had really brightly colored tires outside of it. So they were already there. They were already, it it was already there. He took a picture and he said, oh, I want to paint this for the show. And I said, paint it? Are you kidding? Let's make it, right? Let's recreate (laughs) this entire. So we did it in the museum. Once the show was over, I said, you know what I want to do? I'm going to go to the desert and put them in the desert and photograph them. I think it would be funny. And my academic brain was was going, and I thought, oh, I'm going to tie it to the history of this place and, and, and art from the 60s. So I believe his name is Jean Tingley or something like that. That's his name. Yeah. He did this big piece where he actually collected a lot of trash and stuff from the dump, which the old dump back in, the, back in those days was in East Las Vegas where I grew up. So I went to the desert in East Las Vegas and set them up because Seven Magic Mountains is now near Gene Dry Lake where where John Tingley did his big as- assemblage piece that kind of like fell apart out in the desert. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, there's all those layers. We went and we set them up in the desert and I said, you know what? Something's not, it doesn't fit here. Why don't we go down to the tire shop where we got them and see if there's a patch of desert out there and see if it, see what it looks like out there. And my friend Michaela and I went out there, we set them up and it was perfect. And people got it right away. You know, you had Sunrise Mountain uh, in the in the background, which is like very, uh, and, you know, it's like indicative of the east side, right, to see that beautiful mountain in the background. And it was a hit. And and so we, we left it there. So it's still there? Yeah, it's still there. Do you think it'll stay there indefinitely? I hope so. I, I mean, the people that are renting that land have a food truck on it. And so it's a very popular food truck. And so they're taking care of it because they've actually gotten a lot of business from people visiting it. So now you have a piece of land art and your land art has custodians. I feel like this is going to go very well. Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm like a regular Michael Heiser now. I thought you were Michael Heiser. (laughs) I couldn't tell the difference between you guys. I know. We're like the same person. The Double Scoop podcast receives support from the Master of Fine Arts program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Applications are open for the fall 2020 semester. The Master of Fine Arts is a three-year degree. It's studio-based and research-focused, with an emphasis on interdisciplinarity, community engagement, and professional development. Students have an opportunity to make art in the unique context of Las Vegas. 
Applications are due February 1st. To learn more about the program, application, and graduate assistantships, visit the UNLV Department of Art online. So let's talk about your podcast. You have your own podcast mm-hmm. where you are the host. Yeah. You have two, Latinos Who Lunch and The Art People. Mm-hmm. So tell me about The Art People. What In the beginning, what did you decide you wanted to do? Like, What was going to be the scope of the kind of conversations you wanted to have? I think that I just wanted a podcast where I could just talk openly about art in my own way. A lot of the art podcasts, the big ones that, you know, I listen to were so kind of inside baseball, right? Uh, They can get so boring. And they're so boring. And it's hard because it's a visual, you know, a lot of art is visual. And then to describe it on a show... Like, I'd rather know about people's lives or, like, capture a moment or use a pod, use the, an art podcast as a way to kind of, you know, record our oral history. And so I wanted, a, I wanted an art podcast that not only was fun but also centered people of color and centered queerness, you know? Yeah. Because, honestly, a lot of art podcasts center white males like most of the world. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah. And, and you take this podcast on the road? Do you travel around with it? Everywhere. I always bring my recording equipment with me. I've been so busy lately that I haven't been able to interview many people, but I have so many interviews saved up that I'm able to come out with episodes every week. So I have a series of interviews that are coming out now from New York that I recorded back in May, you know? So. Oh, yeah. yes, I do know this problem. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Burning Man artists who I still haven't reported on yet. Who Next I recorded year, months ago. Right before Burning Man, the teaser, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you're having fun with this. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I, it. It was, it's a way, I think, also for me to learn more about art. I think that with Latinos Who Lunch, for example, I have learned so much about Latinx identity through the podcast. I've learned so much about my privilege. I've learned so much about just social justice and and how important language is. And also now I have the words to kind of express a lot of things that I've had in my head for so long that I didn't know how to talk about, right? So sometimes I'll go to art things, dinners, meetings, gatherings with curators and other artists, I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm just there for the free food, right? So <laughs> so I said, you know what? That's I, I'm in the art world now. I want to know what's going on. If I have a podcast that is about art where I interview artists or creative people, I think that I, I, it's going to benefit me, I, and it'll keep me learning because I have to. Yeah, yeah. You know? I guess I have yeah. to admit right now that a lot of the reason I'm a journalist is because you you get this access to people you wouldn't otherwise mm-hmm. have access to. Mm-hmm. You just call important people, and yeah. they'll talk to you. It's great. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, okay, this is maybe an unfair question. It's kind of like asking you to name your favorite child or something. But for people who haven't heard your podcasts yet and want to check them out, do you have a good starter episode or two to recommend they start with? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think you should start at the very beginning. Episode one, I interview the co-host to Latinos Who Lunch, art historian 
Emmanuel Ortega, and we we get into a lot of conversations about art history and you know identity within that. And so, yeah, I think that's a good one to start with. Um, recently. I've been interviewing a lot of people in New York. Those are really fun interviews too. So yeah, you can start at the beginning or at the very end and work your way back. And here, here's a, I'm going to segue to something else entirely. Okay. I've seen some pictures lately of you and the people you're working with wearing black t-shirts yeah. with uh, like a skull, like a skeleton rib cage uh-huh. on them. And there, it looks like this is getting contagious. The people near you are wearing wearing this yeah. t-shirt that you've been wearing for a long time. What's the story of that? That's funny. Well, I have a uniform. I have an artist uniform. I'm wearing it now, but my my <laughs> my sweater's buttoned up. It's a skeleton shirt, black and white shirt, and I usually wear red. I decided maybe like four years ago to have a uniform because I felt like I was performing for people all the time as an like performing the role of an artist, and mm-hmm. so I thought, okay. So if life is a performance, why not just really lean into it? And then I started thinking about artists like Janelle Monet or David Lynch, Andy Warhol, all these people that had uni- have uniforms, right, or had uniforms. They wear the same thing all the time or wear the same colors all the time. And, you know, again, aligning myself with those people, those creatives and art history, right? And then also thinking about my family in Las Vegas, my mom, she she's worked at a casino now for over 20 years, and she's worn the same uniform every day to work, right? And so also aligning myself with that, right? And it's become kind of my signature look, which I think is interesting. It's great for branding, but then the look <laughs> is also about cultural appropriation and like this the skeleton as a symbol of Day of the Dead and how that's been appropriated by mainstream and American culture. Well, now it's globally. I I recently went to the UK and they celebrate Day of the Dead over there because of Coco, you know? So yeah, it's kind of a way to claim all those things. I knew you were going to have a very good thorough answer to that question, (laughs) and you did. (laughs) Thanks. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7, Reno's community radio station. Today's guest is Las Vegas artist Justin Favela. His exhibition, Saludos Amigos, is on view at the Courthouse Gallery in Carson City through January 29th. How is your career going in general right now? In Northern Nevada, we've seen your name and we've seen your work a little bit. You've shown in the museum. You've worked with Capital City Arts Initiative in Carson. And it seems to me like we've been seeing your name more lately. So are things going great? Like, are you getting really getting out there? It's incredible. I am completely booked. What's the saying? Booked, busy, and blessed. It's to the point now where it's a lot. It's too much, which, again, is a weird thing to be complaining about or stressed out about. But, I, I yeah, I've been nonstop traveling and installing work for two years now. Mm-hmm. And it's finally caught up to me. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> um, and so it's a good – I'm in a good place right now to really – kind of reel it in and and think about my quality of life and how I can make these installations in a healthier way because 
I've been putting in a lot of man hours, a lot of labor. Do, you know, I could tell that my body's like, yo, you got to chill for yeah. a little while. You it's know? hard to keep a cap on that. Like yeah. when it rains, it pours. And you, it's Be- right. Hard to, because as yeah. artists, we're like, we don't know when the next gig is going to come. So I, it's hard for me to say no to anything. It sounds hard, but I think you are not alone. I think yeah. there are a lot of people out there nodding their heads listening. Yeah. Do, do you have any uh, any shows or projects coming up you're particularly excited about? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, yes. The next project I have is in Ashland, Oregon. I am actually going to be their visiting artist professor at Southern Oregon University. I will be teaching an installation course and a printmaking course. And at the same time, I'm going to have a solo show at the Snyder Museum of Art. So I'm going to go work on that project. I, I leave on Saturday, right? So I leave in a couple days. Whew. Congratulations, yeah. but also like, wow, I hear you. That's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, not like you need people begging you for more right now, but yeah. of course I'm going to. Do you think you'll be back in Northern Nevada anytime soon? Absolutely. I Absolutely. I will be back Anytime they ask me to come back, I love coming up here. I, I think I've been been in Reno doing some sort of art exhibition or installation or part of a group show for the past five years. I've been up here either with the Nevada Museum of Art, Sierra Arts Foundation, C- uh, Capital City Arts Initiative. It's awesome. Great. Well, welcome back anytime. It'll be great to see your work anytime you're here. You know what? I've been teaching... I teach at UNR right now. I'm teaching an art appreciation course for non-majors. And on the first day of class, I said something like, watch, we're going to talk about how art relates to like community, to politics, how art relates to real life. And race and gender are going to keep coming up over and over and over. Like, it's not my agenda. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just that's what's in the world right now. That's what everyone's talking about. And that's what art is going to keep coming back to. And it has almost every day. Yeah. Like we start over here somewhere down the road and we get back to like, oh, oh, okay, this is like race is involved in this or like class is involved in this or or notions of gender are involved in this. Wow. And we, but it's like we bounce back to it every single time. Yeah. So I'm like, is it just me or is it just like, no, this is what we're contending with right now. And this is just where everything is. This is what we have to keep talking about. What do you think? I think... I actually think that, yeah, I mean, we have people in the White House right now that are making really horrible decisions for people. (laughs) And so everybody's kind of on high alert. Yeah, yeah. And we're in a new day where information travels really fast and we have access to a lot of information. A lot of it is false, I will say, Um, but at the same time, Um, You know, Twitter, for example, like we can all share our experiences, share our grievances, uh, share our joy on Twitter immediately. Right. We didn't we weren't able to see that before. Yeah. And we we can make people aware of things that just did not have that wide of a voice before. There is a different awareness now. Yeah. And if you aren't aware of what's happening, it's because you're being willfully ignorant. Mm -hmm. And those days are gone. Like you can't pretend you don't know what's going on. You can't be a person that says, I don't see color anymore. Because guess what? That's erasure. That's not that's not progress. You know? Right. Like if you don't see color, you don't see race, you don't see racism. Right? And so it's very 
interesting to me how a lot of people kind of see this as a bad thing, but it's it's kind of like it, it's just it's there's just a new awareness now, and these kids growing like people that are younger than me like. I went and talked at high schools here in Carson City, right? I used to teach middle school. Like, these kids know so much more than I did when I was a kid. They are so bright and they're Whoa. so well-informed. Yeah. And this is what b- blows my mind when the baby boomers are like, oh, millennials are so lazy, Generation Z, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but also they're really smart and we're not giving them enough credit. You know, And they're really alert to these kinds of discussions. Yeah. And in my experience, really eager to engage in these discussions. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. I can't tell you what a fun time it is to be teaching college right now. It's a blast. Oh, my gosh. I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, but the, the, like, I think it's a good thing, of course. I think it's a great thing that we yeah. have all these conversations. But just once in a while, I'm like, wait, should we just go back to, like, color theory or abstract expressionism yeah. for a minute? Like, no, 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 no. That's just not as urgent right now, which is, I, I think it's fine. But it's like, I keep noticing it. It's like, wherever we are, we get back to, like, no, let's deal with this stuff right now. And it's important also to have a forum to talk about it, like, out loud yeah. in person with people. Because a lot of us are behind the, the, the keyboard. You don't know who's reading it and the responses are, are not always fair or not how it's not you know, a natural response. You know, you have a lot to hide behind. But so to have these conversations openly is so important. Cause I know that I've said a lot of things out loud and right after I said them out loud, I say, Wait, I don't even think that. I can't believe I was that was in my head for so long and then just hearing myself say these words out loud. I don't think that, you know, like it's so important. Ah. Do you yourself, do you have opportunities to interact with lots of people? Like you you said you've you visited high schools and things like that. Yeah. Does this stuff come up when you talk to high school kids? I, I think so. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I have yeah. two podcasts, so <laughs> I inter- we interview guests all the time. And so I'm constantly talking about it, constantly on panels. And when I go to high school, th- I actually give the exact same talk at universities at high schools, at elementary schools, like I don't sugarcoat anything. So like I will go in on the patriarchy, on white supremacy in front of elementary school students. Like and I, I let them know ahead of time, like I'm not going to dumb down my talk for kids because these kids get it. They're smart. Do like the nine year olds appreciate that? They, they get must. it. They do. Because yeah. I talk to them like they're adults, which they understand what's going on, you know? Good for you. I'm glad you're bringing <laughs> all these ideas and yeah. bringing your work out to the world. And, and it is, even though you're so busy, I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here in the studio. Thank you. I really you. appreciate you coming up. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Double Scoop podcast. Double Scoop is an independent news source that covers the visual arts in Nevada. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud. This episode is sponsored by the Master of Fine Arts program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Classes start in fall 2020. Applications are due February 1st. To learn more, visit UNLV's Department of Art online. Today's guest has been artist Justin Favela. Big thanks to Reno musician Greg Gilmore for lending us the music clip. Our sound editor is Nico Wagner. I'm Chris Wagner. Thanks for listening.